How's it going, Longhorn Nation? Welcome to Texas Talk, your one-stop shop for everything involving Texas Longhorns football. I'm your host, Ryan McLoon, and I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Michael Farber. We are recording on Tuesday, August 9th, and today we will be talking about the Longhorns coaching staff. Um, at the end of the pod, uh, we'll probably reveal our top 10 college football coaches currently, um, and then we're going to hit some current news at the top. Before we get into it, though, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you're listening. Also, make sure to check out our website, texas-talk.com. On the website, you'll be able to find the Longhorns roster, depth chart, recruiting targets, any trending news, plus our analysis on the team. So be sure to check us out. With all that said, it's awesome to be back. I kind of miss doing that intro. Um, <laughs> Michael. How have you been? I, I've been good, you know. Um, you know, been a long two weeks without Ryan, you know, helping me, oh, no. helping me you along. Did great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it's it's been fun. It's been hot here. Um, you know, other than that, not a whole lot going on. Got a little allergy stuff going on because uh, I I mowed my grass yesterday, and with as dry and as hot as it's been, I mean, it was like mowing dirt. It was it was bad. Oh. Um, so that, that's fun. But other than that, not too bad. How, how was your uh, vacation? It was awesome. If you guys don't know, I went to uh, Santorini, Greece, um, just an island north of Crete. Um, it was awesome. Highly, highly recommend. Um, I've been to a, a few places. I've been to, you know, Dominican Republic, um, L.A. I'm trying to think of other ones. Um, Mexico, Ireland. But Greece, by far, has the best food I've had on really? vacation. Incredible. Um, towards the end, it felt like I, and I stayed for about two weeks. So, um, you know, there's only so many spots to eat. Um, yeah. And towards the end, it, it kind of felt like I was just eating kind of the same meal. Um, chicken gyro, lamb chops, and, you know, some sort of... Um, black angus steak but overall the food was absolutely amazing and i highly recommend it for anybody even if you don't go as long as i did obviously um it was an awesome time and uh basically everywhere you look was a beautiful sight so um, oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah yeah it was it was a great time <clears throat> i'm happy i did it so um yeah other than that got home late friday um and uh i had to mow the lawn it we were supposed oh, no. <laughs> to get somebody to mow it <laughs> we were supposed to get somebody to mow it while we were away and there was a little bit of a miscommunication so the lawn didn't get cut for two full weeks um it was an absolute disaster coming back <laughs> to um i had to raise the blades on my lawnmower just to uh you know just to make sure that i got all the grass cut because if yeah. I left them as low as I did, it never would have got cut one day. Um, so I was, I was cutting the lawn around noon and it was maybe peaking at 98 degrees and uh, super humid in Chicago. So oh, that was a rough, that was a grind. <laughs> I, you know, I came back from vacation and got an immediate gut punch. But um, yeah, I don't know. It all overall, great time. So Nice, nice. Um, all right, let's get into these, uh, the Longhorns. I'm sure the listeners don't 
don't really care about my, me, my vacation. So let's talk <laughs> about some current news. Um, first of all, this doesn't really have anything to do with Texas, but OU wide receivers coach, Cal Gundy, um, uh, I, I, it sound, he, uh, he stepped away himself, but it sounds like he was kind of forced out yeah. um, from OU. What are your thoughts on that? Um, so yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, um, when this news kind of surfaced, um, you know, I, I said in the group chat before, before a lot of, before a lot of information came out, I kind of said in the group chat, you know, if this was a mistake, which is what it sounded like at first, um, from his apology, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm just going to explain what I heard at first. And this is my reaction to the, my, the first instance. Um, it sounded like he was reading something off of one of the players' iPads. He read the word and was immediately sorry. That's the news that I heard first. That's what I read first. Um, and then it was kind of weird that they that they asked him to leave, basically, um, for him just saying that and, you know, being sorry. You know, I thought maybe there was something else going on behind the scenes. Um, and at first, my first thought was, that's a huge loss for them. Sark should reach out for a consultant job. Um and then it came out, um, you know, Brent Venables put out his second statement um, about how he said the word multiple times. Um, and then after that, I was like, nope, you know, you know, if you say it once and, and you didn't realize you were just kind of reading something and saying it and you're remorseful for it. I kind of understand, you know, obviously you, you should never say that word. Uh, you should never utter that word. Uh, but um, if he did it on accident, I can understand um, us reaching out because accidents happen. Um, when the other statement came out from Brent Vittable saying he said it multiple times, that's kind of when I was like, uh, that's not an accident. You know, he read it and was trying to prove a point uh, to maybe pay attention in meetings or whatever. Um, so that was kind of my thought process behind that. Um, going back to the first statement when I thought Sartre should reach out uh, for like a consulting defensive or offensive consultant kind of thing. Um, you know, my thought process there was um, Sark obviously has some uh, uh, skeletons in his closet. Um, you know, he, he did some things he shouldn't have done uh, previously. And, you know, maybe he would have a soft spot for someone who made a mistake and was apologetic right away after that mistake. Um, and that's why I thought maybe Sark would reach out. Again, with the new uh, news that's come out and the new um story that's come out about what actually happened um i don't want star to reach out you know i I don't think he's going to get a job in college football anytime soon and you know if that's really what happened um i don't think he deserves a job in college football anytime soon um so there's kind of my thought process behind the whole situation and uh yeah love to hear what ryan has to say about it yeah a lot to unpack there um but yeah, I mean, my first thought, same as you, I read his apology first, which is probably a a lesson to not do that because <laughs> yeah, obviously yeah. the guy apologizing is going to uh, kind of stress the truth on what actually happened and kind of sugarcoat it a little bit. Give him exactly, exactly. <laughs> give give himself some pity, um, but immediately I was like this seems a little crazy. Like, obviously it's bad. And even to do it once, even on accident is bad because 
I find it hard to believe you read a word um, like that and just like utter it without usually that word kind of catches your eye, you know? Yeah. I mean? So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of hard to, uh, to do it unless you're either used to doing it or don't care to use that word or don't care about using that word, I should say. Mm -hmm. So immediately I was like, ah, I, I am going to take his apology with a grain of salt because I really, I don't know if I trust this, but if, if he is telling the truth, then I could imagine him getting a job maybe next year or, or, or the following year in 2024. But um, like you said, after hearing what Venables had to say the second time and kind of more so pointing like, Hey, no, Cal Gundy, not a good guy. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, this, this, I don't know. Um, and correct me uh, if you know, but I don't know if Venables said that he did it in multiple occasions or multiple times in that same spot. Either way, um, it sounds like he probably has done it on multiple occasions, even if that's not what Venables said. <laughs> yeah. Um, you could probably safely assume that it happened more than once. Um, maybe not even to the team, maybe just in his own daily life, which is probably just as bad, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Or it is just as bad. So, um, yeah, overall, like you said, I can't really see Kale Gundy getting a job after this unless it's with his brother at uh, Oklahoma State. But... Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, even there, I feel like uh, Mike Gundy has taken some heat recently or in the past years with his uh, OAR, um, <laughs> I think, or a shirt or hat or whatever yeah. he was wearing. He took a lot of heat there for that. And um, I, he's a great coach, so I'm sure he can take a little bit more heat. But I don't know. That's a terrible look if, if anybody gives him a job at this point. Yeah, um, and I actually have this the second statement from Brent Venables pulled up. Uh, it says, Coach Gundy resigned from the program because he knows what he did was wrong. He chose to read aloud to his players not once but multiple times a racially charged word that is objectionable to everyone and does not reflect the attitude and values of our university or our football program. Um, so it sounds like what I get from reading that is that in that moment he said it multiple times. Um, yes, yes, which for sure. if if that was the case, you know, that's like like I said, he does not deserve a, a job in college football for a very right. very long time, if at all. That's not an accident, right? No, no. Um, it, it was hard to believe that it was an accident if you did it one time. But yes, yeah. <laughs> doing it multiple times, there is uh, <laughs> open and shut case kind of right there. Yeah. So. Um, um, the interesting thing, um, which this is more again conspiracy theory. I, I said this in the group chat. But his his uh, daughter, um, Kale Gundy's daughter, has been on Twitter um, a lot saying that, you know, basically OU is hiding what actually happened. Um, they're trying to smear her dad's name. Um, and, and she's not just some random person. She worked for OU for several years um, as a graduate assistant, I believe. And she worked around recruiting um, as an assistant there as well um, and knows several former players. And there's former players sticking up for Kale Gundy, too. So it's kind of a weird situation. You know, I don't right. think we're ever going to know the real truth behind it. Um, but as of right now, it's it's not looking good at all for Kale Gundy, Brent Venables, OU football in general, just because of, you know, how this is taking place and how it's, you know, falling apart. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, that's a little bit of a conspiracy theory. I think it is just his daughter, um, you know, trying to stick up for her dad. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, either way, I there's no um, kind of sugarcoating. I think it is bad for Oklahoma that Cal Gundy is. I mean, it's good that they let him go for sure. It's good that yes. he's gone. Yeah. It's bad on the football field because Cal Gundy was a hell of a recruiter and a hell of a developer. So yes. of the wide receiver position. So, um, and that's exactly why Michael, when, you know, you were willing to give him a second chance and, you know, um, I could see it happening because he is good at his job. Um, no matter what you think of him as a person. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be a, a, a blow for Oklahoma for sure. Um, and to happen kind of this close to the season in fall camp is uh, it's not good. No, not at all. And so. like like you said, he he was a ace recruiter for them. Um, great developmental coach, great coach in general. Um, you know, he recruited Adrian Peterson. He was his primary recruit. Uh, Joe Mixon, primary recruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Theo Weiss, DeMarco Murray, um, Mario Williams even. I mean, the right. list, there's a very long list of players that he has been the primary recruiter for. Um, so it's, it's, it's a big loss for them, rightfully so, obviously. Um, I think we've been over that several times, rightfully so. But right. um, it, it is a big loss for, for Oklahoma. And, you know, I, I think it's going to hurt them recruiting the offensive side of the ball, especially at wide receiver and running back. Yeah, and, um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, Brett Venables is a defensive guy, um, mm-hmm. you know, replacing Lincoln Riley. Brett Venables needed as much offensive, uh, you know, coaching talent as possible. So, yes. yep. um, yeah, he's going to have to do a really good job at, at um, replacing Cal Gundy. Um, so um, I think, are, are you, do you have any last parting words on, on Cal Gundy? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, no. Um, bad guy. Great, great job. He got fired. So <laughs> happy about that. Um, all right, let's move on to Bravion Rogers. Another thing that isn't really about Texas, but, um, could be. Could be. Bravion yeah. <laughs> Rogers, um, if you don't know, he was a Texas A&M Aggies commit. He is a five-star cornerback, uh, recruit. He just decommitted from the Aggies. And um, I think we've heard kind of different things here, but I I think it's safe to say that Texas, LSU, and Alabama are all big players in uh, landing Brave Van Rogers now that he's back open. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, You know, it's a position of need, obviously. Um, Defensive back is where we are going to be thin, especially after this year. And we're kind of already thin there now. Um, but being able to get Bravion Rogers would be really huge. Um, I have him up on 24-7, but I'm trying to scroll to him here on on, uh, on three. Um, so right now, yeah, on three has him as 82.8% LSU uh, in their prediction machine. Um, Texas A&M is 7.1, and then Texas at 3.7. Um, one thing I noticed is um, – start talking yesterday about, or not yesterday, but I think Friday last week about um, cornerbacks and how he's looking to recruit more length and more physical corners. 
Um, 24-7 has him at 5-10. On three has him at 5-11.5. And Sark said uh, in his press conference that he wants corners over six foot. Um, so Brabion Rodgers is right at that point. Um, I don't know who's more accurate, 24-7 or on three. Um, but he would be a huge get for us. You know, 37 or number 37 in the country, number four corner in the country. Um, and like I said, a big position in need. We're, we are recruiting that position fairly well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have Malik Muhammad, um, Jordan Matthews potentially committing here fairly soon. Um, JV and, or Javen Tobiano, um, another big time recruit potentially uh, committing to Texas. Um, so if we can land those three, I'd be happy. Adding Bravion Rogers to the mix would just be, you know, the icing on top of the cake. Um, right. I, I don't think he's going to come uh, to Texas. I think it's LSU, but um, yeah, I, I'm not going to count this staff out yet. Um, they've proven they can recruit and recruit well down the stretch um, for players recruitment. So um, I'm, I'm not saying no, but I'm not saying yes. I'm kind of 50-50 on, it, on if we pursue really hard, we could get him. And, you know, if we just kind of sit where we're at right now, it's probably going to be LSU. Yeah, exactly. And um, Rivals is is the one that has them at 38% to Texas, which isn't incredibly high. It just happens to be the highest of the uh, of all the colleges they list. So, like you said, on, on three seems to be um, pretty – pretty certain that Bravian Rogers is going to end up at LSU. And, um, you know, like you also said, quarterback is a huge position in need for Texas. Um, obviously we grabbed Jalen Gilbo and, um, uh, I am forgetting Terrence his Brooks. name. Terrence Brooks. Thank you. I, I want to say Jonathan Brooks so bad. <laughs> I just bit my tongue. Um, we got both of them last cycle along with, um, you know, safeties, BJ Allen, Larry Turner, Gooden, um, Austin Jordan. So that, that DB room did get replenished a little bit, but Jalen Gilbo has also has already had some problems. Um, Mm -hmm. got suspended this spring. Um, so that's never a great sign. I think we talked about a little bit, but you can't, you, you have to assume that one of these guys isn't going to pan out, especially out of the five. Um, yeah. and, it's, and it's already pointing towards Jalen Gilbo, not saying he isn't going to pan out and not saying that um, any of the other guys are, but um, without watching a single down, Jalen Gilbo is behind the eight ball already. So um, in the uh, – between Austin Jordan, BJ Allen, and Larry Turner Gooden, those are all more safeties than they are cornerbacks. So um, Terrence Brooks obviously is a great player, but we need more depth at that position. And right now Malik Muhammad is our only verbal commit. Um, Like you also said, Jordan Matthews is, um, I think we we feel pretty good about him. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the staff is going to land him. I think, we talked about this a little bit, but I think Terry Joseph has been one of the best Sark hires um, along with uh, Kyle Flood and potentially Brendan Mary. And we kind of went back and forth about that a little bit, but um, I think Terry Joseph has just proven more um, because he's been here longer. Obviously I'm a huge Brendan Marion fan, um, but yeah, 
getting Jordan Matthews in would be huge. And then on top of Malik Muhammad and Jordan Matthews, adding Javian Taviano or Bravion Rogers um, is almost needed. If not, they're going to have to grab another four-star or high three-star cornerback just to kind of replenish this this cornerback room because Deshaun Jameson's going to leave next year. Um, Ryan Watts will most likely leave next year. Um, You kind of got to assume that he's going to leave next year. Ishmael Ibrahim has had his own problems. Um, So he's somebody you can't really count on. Um, Jade Barron, I think he's the best defensive back Texas is going to have next year. Um, He could stay, but if he has a great year, he's eligible to leave as well. So um, we just got to replenish this, uh, this DB room. So adding a Bravion Rogers would be, uh, massive for Terry Joseph and this coaching staff. And like I said, Terry Joseph has done such a great job. I wouldn't be incredibly surprised if, uh, if he does end up landing him. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised either. You know, Terry Joseph is one that I was kind of worried about recruiting wise coming in. Um, but you know, he's, he's exceeded all my expectations so far. Um, especially right. last year at the end of the uh, national signing day, actually flipping Terrence Brooks. I mean, what a what a huge get to flip him from Ohio State. Um, but yeah, Terry Joseph is is one that has exceeded expectations so far, and I I hope he continues that um, for the next few years. Yeah, exactly. the The tough thing is a lot of our assistant head coaches I feel like are really good, and they're not going to stick around. We'll get to that. Um, when we talk about the coaching staff in a little bit, but before we get into it, let's talk about Cedric Baxter for a little bit. He's supposed to be committing um, tomorrow actually. And I think Texas is in uh, the best spot right now. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, I think he's supposed to get commit at seven tomorrow, 7 PM. Um, so it'll be a, a night commitment. Um, but yeah, Cedric Baxter is one that, you know, wasn't really on the radar in early to mid spring. Um, And then, you know, Ruben Owens obviously commits to Louisville and then Cedric Baxter kind of pops up as a guy Texas very high on and, you know, he's high on Texas as well. Um, He kind of has that uh, Bijan build to him, 6'1", 215, and he runs like it. He runs hard. He's not afraid to run people over, but he still has speed to to break away at the end of runs. Um, So, yeah, I'd be really excited to get Cedric Baxter, um, especially since – uh, we don't have a running back. Or we do, sorry, Trey Wisner. I always forget yes. about Trey Wisner um, because he committed so long ago. But yeah, but getting two running backs um, in this class would be huge, especially with potentially three running backs leaving at the end of this year um, with with uh, Bijan, Roshan, and um, Keelan, depending on what he wants to do. Um, you know, it, it could be three running backs leaving our running back room and adding two in. Um, I like those numbers. We'd be down one, obviously, but I, I still like those numbers because our running back room is absolutely loaded right now. Um, so getting Cedric Baxter would be a huge hit, especially out of Florida. Building that Florida to Austin pipeline um, is something that we need to do and that the staff is looking to do and has done um, this year. Yeah, and you mentioned it, but Cedric Baxter being six one, listed at 215, he is more of the Steve Sarkeesian type of running back. 
Um, I know Steve Sarkeesian gets this uh, rap as some like spread coach that um, loves to throw the ball, but honestly, you see Sark often, and you sh- you see it with with how the offensive line is being built too. But Sark likes running the ball right down your throat. Um, yeah. He loves the power run game. Um, you see it with guys like Dajay Harris too, and um, Brian Robinson um, at Alabama. But those those were bigger backs, man. They're bruisers. Um, a guy like Ruben Owens is five foot eleven, two hundred pounds. I wouldn't be all that surprised if um, Cedric Baxter was always Steve Sarkeesian's RB one of choice. Um, just because, like we said, the, the size and um, out of the top five on consensus, Baxter is by far the biggest. All these other guys are five foot eleven, um, under two hundred pounds. So, um, yeah, I think Baxter is a little unique in this running back. Uh, recruiting class so i think grabbing him and kind of fitting the the mold that steve sarkeesian wants is more important um than a recruiting ranking you know yeah absolutely so, and, and like you and said, there's no slight because he's no. a top 50 player still <laughs> yeah uh, on consensus so he's still an amazing player but i know a lot of texas fans were uh were kind of bummed that reuben owens who was, you know, the sexy five-star from Texas running back um, committed to Louisville over Texas. So I just wanted to kind of ease Texas fans' concerns because Cedric Baxter might be even better than Reuben Owens would have been at Texas. So sorry for cutting you off there. No, 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 you're fine. Um, Like you said, though, I mean, Cedric Baxter kind of fits Steve Sarkeesian's mold. And Stark loves to run the ball. You know, if, if you listen to any of his press conferences or his coaching clinics, um, he's a run-first coach. He's run-heavy, and then he says that opens up the RPO game, the play action, the, the mm-hmm. shot plays that he loves to call. Um, so he's a run-first coach, and then he allows that to, you know, bolster that passing game, which seems so explosive all the time because how well we can run the ball. Um, especially last year, you know, our offensive line was not that good. Um, I'm hoping with a better offensive line this year or in the next couple of years that that running game will only get better. And if we're yeah. bringing in kids like Cedric Baxter and Trey Wisner, I, it's it's going to get better and it's going to get better really quickly. Um, right. No, that's not a slight on Bijan or Roshan, obviously, but just the offensive line they're running behind um, is not going to be as good as it will be in a in a year or two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the offensive line has more to do with the running success than the actual running back most of the time. Um, obviously, incredible talents like Bijan kind of make that Nolan Void. But <laughs> yeah. um, on average, if, you're, if your offensive line is pushing back the defensive line for two yards and your running back, you know, has open lanes, that's going to, on average – be better than Bijan playing hero ball 30 times a game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, like you said, it's not that Texas running game is going to get better because talent at running back is going to get better. Um, Because honestly, I don't know if it'll get better than Bijan in the next decade. Bijan is that good of a player. Um, But on average with the offensive line improving, that's going to, make Texas's running game um, hard to stop, um, especially yeah. if guys like Quinn Ewers and 
Arch Manning pan out and start stretching the field a little bit more than we did last year as well. Absolutely. So um, is there any other um, news uh, that we missed? I don't, I don't think so. Okay. Um, you know what? Uh, we didn't talk about this uh, before the pod. So if you want to curb it and we could talk about it next week, that's fine. But we kind of had a discussion in the group chat about Anthony Hill and um, um, I'm forgetting the edge rusher's name now. Uh, um, Damon Wilson, I believe. Oh, yes. Damon Wilson from Florida, correct? Uh, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, we kind of talked about them a little bit. And I made the comment because um, – and I said, Damon Wilson might be a better uh, get for Texas than than Anthony Hill, even though Anthony Hill is rated higher. Um, what um, do you want to get into that now, or would you rather save it for next week? Yeah, yeah, we can get into that. That's fine. Okay, all right. So I say Damon Wilson is a better get for Texas than Anthony Hill, and. Um, if you don't know, Anthony Hill is a um, – I'm trying to look up his consensus rankings now, so forgive me. He's a top 15 player on consensus, um, whereas Damon Wilson is a top 42 player on consensus. So pretty big gap there, right? Um, about 30 spots, um, a little less. But Damon Wilson is a pure edge rusher, and um, – a really, really good one. It's six foot four, 235 pounds. He already has the size um, to kind of play, um, you know, not just as a pure pass rusher, but um, as a run stopper as well. Anthony Hill is listed at six foot uh, two, 240 pounds, if I'm not mistaken. So, and he's projected to be playing more of a uh, stand up linebacker spot. Um, my argument here is one, just on average edge rusher, um, is a more important position than in, uh, inside linebacker. Um, just rushing the passer. Um, if you look at analytics, if you care about analytics, it all points to the edge rusher being more important. Um, linebackers kind of more see it, go get it types. Um, will get by on an okay defense, but um, I'll let you take the floor now before I go any further. <laughs> um, so before I start rambling too much. So what say you here? Um, yeah, Ryan and I disagree on this a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think Anthony Hill would be um, higher priority or more needed right now than Damon Wilson. Um, and, and here's my thought process behind that. Um, last year, the defensive line class slash edge class was phenomenal for Texas. Right. Um, you know, to go along with offensive line, but we're not talking about that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we bring in really, really good edge rushers like uh, Justice Finkley, like a Jamon Tapp, um, guys like that. Um, this year, you know, we already have one in uh, Braylon Shelby, and I could be missing on another one. Let me look real quick. Um, Billy Walton as well. He's more of a skinnier edge rusher, though. Mm-hmm. So my thought process... More of a development, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, my thought process is we're thin at linebacker, mm-hmm. and especially with the Marvion Overshone uh, most likely 
well, he he is because he's a six-year player. Um, with uh, Overshone leading this year, Jalen Ford, everything out of camp's been – he's really, really good. Um, and then behind him, you know, there's kind of a big gap, and then you have bench players. Um, that is my thought process behind Anthony Hill is more important because Anthony Hill could come in um, and start next year probably right away. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and, you know, Damon Wilson, he may come in and not start right away. Um, he may, he may, it kind of depends on, you know, what our D line looks like this year and how the freshmen from this year pan out. Um, but I would say probably 90% Anthony Hill comes in and starts next year. And I would say probably 60 to 65% that Damon Wilson starts next year. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at where Anthony Hill is a bigger position of need, um, where we didn't get as many linebackers last year. I think we only got one, and it was um, Derek uh, Derek Brown. Um, no, and I think there was there might have been another one. Um, and then looking at um, the the D line and edge class last year, we had seven commits from that from that class. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking at is players leaving. You know the depth of that position, and that's why I think Anthony Hill is, would be a better get than than Damon Wilson. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other one that you were thinking of is Travell Johnson was also a linebacker taken yep. last yep. class. Three-star linebacker. So, um, obviously could be good, but um, not a blue-chip player um, recruited. So, yeah, um, I I do agree with you. I think linebacker is a huge need. Um, I, I I feel like Jeff Cho already kind of, and Pete Kwiatkowski, Steve Sarkeesian as well, I feel like they kind of, filled that position though already with uh liana uh uh lafoe yeah i think i had it (laughs) an exit um yeah so between him and samaje burrell i feel like the linebacking group and i'm not saying that these guys are you know they are blue chip players because they're both four-star players but um i feel like i feel fine enough about this linebacker group because Jalen Ford's going to stay. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard for Jalen Ford to play one year as a starting linebacker um, and make the jump to the NFL. And if he does, that means he had an absolutely incredible season. So um, hopefully he does in that, in that regard. But um, so Jalen Ford will stay. Um, and then between the other two, that we already got, I, I feel pretty good about one of the two of them kind of developing into a starting caliber linebacker in 2024. Um, another thing that's more so a con against Anthony Hill and not really the linebacking group in general is he's big. He's six foot two, 230 pounds. Um, I mean, that is still linebacker size, but you look at Oklahoma state, you look at Baylor, these linebackers and a part of great defenses, these linebackers are, you know, more like two fifteen, six foot, uh, six foot one, six foot two, you know, um, mm-hmm. they're more, they're, they're basically big safeties, um, at that point. And I do get your point going to the sec. It's going to be different. Um, there's a lot more bigger bodies in the sec. So you kind of need a thumper, um, like Anthony Hill is and Anthony Hill is more than a thumper. So I shouldn't totally discredit him in that way. 
Um, but I just feel like you can kind of find a guy like that, like Luke Brockermeyer. Um, obviously, he wasn't the best in pass coverage, but he got the job done in run defense. And um, I feel like you can kind of um, make that happen. Um, Pete Gwikowski would have to do a better job at kind of knowing his personnel and protecting them. But um, the recruitment on the defensive line, not just at the edge with um, – not just at the edge, but on the interior kind of in-run defense is going to help these linebackers look good as well. So I don't know. It, it might just be an Anthony Hill problem um, for me, but I just feel like I would take a lot of other – kind of high four stars or, or five star players over him just because of the position he plays and kind of the way he looks too. Um, maybe you can help me out. The linebacker who committed to LSU, Harold Perkins. Oh um, yeah. In, yep. in the last cycle. Now I think that's a completely different story. Harold Perkins could have played safety. He was incredibly athletic mm-hmm. um, and a little bit leaner. We kind of talked about him last year about, maybe even playing that um, big slot role um, yep. that John A. Barron's going to play. Obviously, they're two completely different body types, but um, in that slot or overhang defender position where you kind of got a huge space in the middle of the field, Harold Perkins can do that. Um, whereas Anthony Hill, I don't really think can. Um, so I think it's kind of a mixture of linebacker just – in my opinion, not being very important of a position and you could kind of hide bad linebackers. Whereas, um, and couple that with Anthony Hill as more of a bruiser, um, and less of like a hybrid safety player. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to talk about that on air with you because we, we were kind of talking about it on the, uh, on the group chat, but I thought it was kind of an interesting conversation that, maybe the rest of uh, our listeners kind of want to uh, hear about. Yeah. And, you know, perfect situation obviously is we wouldn't have to have this conversation and, and we get both of them, you know, that, that would be perfect, right. but, but <laughs> yeah. it's not a perfect world. And, and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, yeah. You know, I, if, if for some reason, Anthony Hill does decommit from A&M, you know, I think he's going to be a longhorn. Uh, and, Damon, yeah. Damon Wilson, on the other hand, he's more of a long shot. Um, there, there is some noise around him, but you know, I, I'm not going to believe it till I see it kind of thing with him because right. looking at on three, I mean, we're not even in his, let me pull him up real quick. We're not even in his top four, um, on their prediction machine. Um, so, you know, he's more of a long shot. I'd, I'd love to have him, but Anthony Hill just looks more realistic to me. And, um, I, I agree any, most other situations, if you're starting a team, I would take edge over linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you're doing a fantasy draft or whatever in the NFL, I, I would take Nick Bosa over just about any linebacker in the country. Right. Um, but looking at the way our team is built, looking at the recruiting class from last year, the players we have on the roster, the players we're going to have on the roster after signing day, um, I, I would rather have Anthony Hill over over Damon Wilson. Um, but again, if we're being completely honest, I'd rather have them both. But I, <laughs> I, I don't always get what I want, so. Right. And, and yeah, it's not like I'm saying if Anthony Hill decommits, don't even think about it. <laughs> no, I, I, I would absolutely take him. And 
I'm just thinking um, the reason why my brain even went to that is um, the numbers of, of this class. And we're kind of close to the numbers here. So, um, and not only that, but just to be realistic, Texas isn't going to get all the five stars or high four stars. So you you kind of have to assume that you're going to get what, maybe like three or four um, top 50 players. Um, And that's on a great year. Um, Texas already has Arch Manning and, uh, uh, John T. Cook in that in that uh, realm and mm-hmm. a couple other players right outside of it. So that's another thing that's going on in my head. Like Texas is probably going to end up with maybe three top fifty on consensus players. Um, so that's that's why I was kind of pitting the two against each other. It had nothing to do with um, an actual decision. Just more of a, um, you know scrimmaging ideas with you. <laughs> yeah so but yeah i don't know um i guess kind of let us know um in the comments after you listen to this or dm us or um just add us and either say who you agree with who you don't agree with if we're both stupid which is probably the case now that i say that out loud <laughs> but um um no but yeah let us know because uh we love the feedback so um Okay, that was uh, a little tangent there, but let's get back to the meat of the uh, episode. And we're running a little bit long now, but let's talk about this um, Texas coaching staff. We don't have to go too in-depth about it because I think we've kind of talked about all of these coaches Mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form this offseason. I don't know how you want to do this. I think I was just going to name the offensive staff and then kind of throw it to you um, and then maybe do the same with the defensive staff after. Yeah. Yeah, that works. Okay, cool. Um, okay. So Steve Sarkeesian, obviously the head coach, but I'm including him with the offensive staff because he's the play caller. Um, Kyle flood, offensive line coach and, uh, offensive coordinator. Um, that's by title alone because Steve Sarkeesian is calling the plays. Um, AJ Milwee, quarterbacks coach. Tashard Choice is the running backs coach. Brennan Marion is the um, wide receivers coach coach and passing game coordinator. Um, and then I did not write down Jeff Banks. Wow. Jeff Banks is the uh, assistant head coach, uh, tight end coach, and special teams coach. So um, I'll throw it to you now with uh, maybe start with Steve Sarkeesian here, and then we'll go wherever we want. Yeah. Um, obviously Steve Sarkeesian is, is um, not, he didn't do what we thought he was going to do in year one. And honestly, I thought we were going to have a phenomenal season. I, I was very high on him. Um, you know, obviously injuries play a part um, with both or sorry, Casey Thompson injuring his hand and playing through it. And it probably should have got passed off the card playing healthy. Right. Um, but Casey Thompson, and, and that hurt us a lot, especially down the stretch. Um, but yeah, Steve Sarkeesian, I'm super excited about him. You know, it, it's going to be a fun year. I think he's already made up his mind about the quarterback situation. Um, I put out an article actually about it or, or out of, about that um, a couple of days ago. Um, so you'll have to go and read that to see who I think is going to be the starting quarterback. Um, but yes. 
<laughs> but uh, I, I really believe in Sark's plan. You know, he's recruiting at a high level. And people say all the time, Texas is always recruited at a high level. Um, but looking at the level of players that he's bringing in uh, offensively and defensively, um, Tom Herman wasn't recruiting like him. Uh, Charlie Strong definitely wasn't recruiting like him. Um, so we're looking at Mac Brown level recruiting coming back to Texas. Um, and, and it's exciting to see, obviously, you know, with, with Arch Manning and, you know, Jonte and Derek Williams on the defense side of the ball. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I believe in Steve Sarkeesian's plan. Um, it may take a little bit longer than Texas fans want to um, because, you know, Texas fans are kind of like live in a micro, microwave world where, you know, they want it in 15 seconds, 30 seconds, and they want their food warm and ready to eat. Um, yeah. but, but that's not always how it goes. Um, so I, I really believe in Stark's plan, and, and uh, I, I'm willing to wait, you know, a year or two extra just to, just to see it pan out and for us to um, actually compete for championships in the Big 12 or SEC and, and, uh, and potentially in the college football playoff. Um, going now, A.J. Milwee. You know, I, I think he's one that will probably be probably be one of the first to leave and get a um, offensive coordinator position. Um, I think AJ Milwe um, helps out Steve Sarkeesian so much and uh, is one of those bright minds of college football that when he does get a uh, offensive coordinator position, he's going to be like a Lincoln Riley where he is wanted mm-hmm. heavily after a year or two. Um, so I, I'm really excited about him, you know, not obviously not excited to see him leave, but I'm excited about to see what he can do with, um, Quinn Ewers and, and Hudson Card going through the season. Absolutely. Um, and you want to see these, um, sorry, you want to see these assistant head coaches get jobs elsewhere because yes, that means yes. Steve Sarkeesian's doing something right. Um, yeah. so yeah, you, even though you don't want to see, like you already mentioned, but you don't want to see AJ Milwee get an offensive coordinator position because you want to keep him. But um, if Steve, Steve Sarkeesian is a good coach and so far he's shown that he is a good uh, evaluator of other coaches because yes. of the staff he's brought in. Um, you just have to assume that Steve Sarkeesian can keep uh, replenishing his cupboard, if you will. Um, same with how Nick Saban has yeah. in the past. Absolutely. So, um and then, yeah, no, sorry, go on. No, no you're fine. <laughs> uh, next, so, so Shard Choice, obviously. Um, you know, I, w- I was sad to see Stan Drayton go to Temple mm-hmm. um, because he recruited at such a high level. And, you know, he was a really good coach. But it looks like to Shard Choice is Stan Drayton just with more energy. Um, he recruits at a high younger. level. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Stan Drayton, more energy, younger. Um, he recruits at a very high level. Um, it looks like he has – all of his running backs engage, um, you know, they're, they're bonding together. They have that team atmosphere in that room. And, you know, he brings the energy to practice. He brings the energy on uh, Twitter, um, social media, all that. Now, now it's just time to see, you know, can he actually develop? Um, you know, if you can recruit and, and do all that, you're going to have a job, but if you can develop, that's what makes you earn other jobs. Um then we'll go on to Brendan Marion, which is one of Ryan's favorites, so I'm not going to hit on him too hard. But Brendan Marion, um, I, I think it's my biggest takeaway from Brendan Marion so far is what a waste of money Andre Coleman was at wide receiver <laughs> coach. I mean, Brendan Marion's been on campus for six months now, maybe a little bit longer. And, you know, we have John T. Cook, we have Ryan Nitlett, um Jonah I'm, Wilson. Jonah Wilson, yes. Uh, Jalen Hale, potentially. I, I mean, 
Andre Coleman couldn't recruit to save his life, and Brendan Marion comes yeah. in here in half a year and has three really good wide receivers and another one that's a top 100 wide receiver um, looking at Texas. Um, so Brendan Marion has been, you know, a big surprise. Not surprised because um, we knew he was a great developer. Um, I'm saying more surprised as we didn't know if he could recruit, and he's coming in and absolutely recruiting the doors off this place. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about him. And he's another one that will probably take an OC job very soon. Um, you know, obviously hate to see him go if he does. Um, but that means that Texas is being successful in some facet of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's go Kyle Flood. Um, obviously, last year's um, offensive recruiting class or offensive line recruiting class was phenomenal. Probably one of the best in the history of Texas football, um, if not college football in general. Um, I mean, yeah. we just, towards uh, National Signing Day 2, or sorry, early National Signing Day, we hit the gas hard, and we landed anybody we wanted. Um, National Signing Day 2, we got another big one in Devon Campbell. Um, but, man, Kyle Flood, what a phenomenal coach. Hopefully he can develop those guys into great players and a great offensive line. Um, he's one that, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of just sticks around and, and has that offensive coordinator uh, title and you know just sticks around Austin it, it seems like he mm-hmm. loves the place it seems like he loves Steve Sarkeesian and working for him um, and you know if, if we offer him enough money uh, raise wise to stick stick around I wouldn't be surprised if we stayed um, as OC slash offensive line coach instead of taking a head coach job um, because it, it just seems like he's at that point in his life where he's happy here he's being he's super successful at what he does um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks around Jeff Banks is um, an ace recruiter. You know, it- this is Michael from the future. Um, it looks like, you know, after I started talking about Jeff Banks, we had some technical difficulties. Um, so most of my answer was left out. Um, but we'll continue on with Ryan's an- answers uh, right after this. So uh, here we go into Ryan's answer. All right. Yeah, I'll get into Jeff Banks now. Um, and honestly. I think you hit the nail on the head there. He's an absolute elite recruiter. Um, if there's ever a high priority guy, I feel like Steve Sarkeesian kind of throws Jeff Banks on him. Um, so I'm sure his hit rate is is not pretty high. Um, if you kind of track who he's recruited and um, if he's landed them or not, but that's because he's he's big fish hunting. You know, he's big game hunting over here. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's hard to have a high rate hit rate at that point but you have to respect him as an elite recruiter um and you kind of mentioned his development with Jatavian Sanders obviously we haven't seen it on the field yet but um I was pretty high on Jatavian Sanders as a as an offensive guy I know um even all the way back to last year we were talking about like man he better be a good offensive player because he's so athletically gifted that he would make a really good edge rusher and that's a yeah. position of need. So, um, so the fact that the coaching staff kept him on the offensive side of the ball, um, really shows that, um, Jeff Banks probably has done a pretty good job in his development and it showed a little bit, just a little sparkle in the spring game. I think everybody saw it. Jatavian Sanders was, um, you know, um, on the borderline is one of the best offensive players in the spring game. Um, so 
I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty excited about him and seeing where he goes. Um, you mentioned him overtaking Jalil Billingsley in the starting role. I think so as well. Um, especially because Tavion Sanders is a little bit, a lot more of a blocker than Jalil Billingsley. Billingsley yeah. lists at 215 pounds is incredibly light in almost more of a big slot rece- receiver type of guy. Um, whereas Tavian Sanders lists at 250. He's going to be more of your inline tight end. Um, he'll be able to block, but obviously he's going to, um, you know, offer a lot in the passing game as well, because yep. um, obviously he's a, he's a great pass catcher and that's kind of where he had his chops even. Um, and then he transitioned to tight end. He played wide receiver in high school though. So um, to be that big and that skilled as a receiver is um, it, it's unique and it's, borderline uh, unicorn. So seeing him develop and seeing how he plays in 2022 is going to tell us a lot about Jeff Banks in the future of this tight end group, because uh, yeah, uh, Jatavian Sanders is that talented. So um, now I'll kind of um, work my way backwards with your list. Um, Kyle flood. Um, you talked about it as well. You kind of hit all of my points here already. I'm just going to kind of run through it a little bit quickly, but Kyle Flood is in a leap recruiter. Um, we didn't really see him have midseason development. Um, the Texas offensive line was just not good pretty much throughout the season. Um, I was not happy with it. I wasn't impressed, and I don't think any Texas fans were. So, <laughs> yeah. um to Kyle Flood's, uh, you know, not credit, but, um, you know, giving him a little bit of a break. It is his first year. It was his first year at Texas. He only had um, a few months before the season. So it's stand to reason that the midseason development of last year um, is kind of uh, water on the, under the bridge. And what's really going to be telling is how this Texas offensive line looks this year because – if guys like Hayden Connor, Andre Carrick um, don't improve, I actually released an article. Um, you can check it out on texas-talk.com, shameless plug, um, <laughs> about the offensive line. And I talked about how Andre Carrick and Hayden Connor, um, they both played over 100 snaps. Hayden Connor barely. Um, Andre Carrick played closer to 300. But they both excelled as run blockers, like – I have absolutely no qualms about them in the running game at all, um, especially if they develop further. But even where they were at last year um, was passable. Um, Texas's running game was never really um, that bad. But um, as pass blockers, Andre Carrick was not good, and Hayden Connor was um, pretty close to, you know, dreadful. So, <laughs> um, those are things that Kyle Flood needs to work on because you cannot have um, an unbalanced offensive line like that, especially if you're planning on Andre Carrick being your left tackle and Hayden Connor being your right guard. Um, you have to um, develop these guys into passable pass uh, pass protectors, especially if you got quarterbacks like Quinn Ewers and um, yeah. eventually Arch Manning. So, that's going to be very telling. Um, and that's if these guys start, which 
I project they will at least for the first two weeks. Um, and then maybe guys like Kelvin Banks and uh, DJ Campbell get in there. But um, I think the veteran um, kind of, uh, you know, boost for those two guys is going to kind of push them over the edge, at least to start the season. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but um, Kyle Flood has developed talent in the past. It's just you, we have to see it at Texas specifically because yep. um, we haven't seen it at Texas in a very, very long time <laughs> yeah. besides the few uh, Samuel Cosmes or um, Connor Williams. Um, there hasn't been that great of uh, offensive linemen through here. So, um, continuing through it, you mentioned it, but Brennan Marion is one of my favorite coaches. Um, incredibly innovative mind. Um, I read his book. It's the go-go offense. Um, it's basically, and I actually watched most of his games he coached at with, uh, William and Mary, but, um, basically the offense is all about tempo. It's all about, um, giving, the offense, giving the defense different looks. So um, a lot of two running back sets and shotgun, um, two running backs to the same side, um, things that the defense doesn't usually see and definitely doesn't see weekly. So um, Brendan Marion is just kind of, like I said, innovative mind and absolutely an up and coming coach. So we need to, uh, you know, treasure him while he's still at Texas because um, I can't see it lasting more than a year or two unless he becomes uh, in, in love with the University of Texas. Yep. Um, yep. He is not a guy who's going to be a lifelong assistant coach. Um, he's going to keep climbing the ladder. He's only, uh, I believe he's 36 years old or 37 years old. So he's still really young. Um, him and Tashard Choice, we I bring this up, I feel like every single podcast, but they're both super young and energetic. And I absolutely love that from this coaching staff. Um, a total 180 from Andre Coleman and Stan Drayton, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I absolutely love that for both of them. And Tashard Choice is another one who, he seems like he's an up and coming coach. Uh, he did an incredible job at Georgia Tech. Um, and hopefully he kind of, takes his game up to another level at Texas, obviously. Um, he's a guy who you could see leaving in the next few years as well, especially if he uh, recruits the way he recruited at Georgia Tech at Texas and um, develops those players, um, which obviously we keep kind of hammering, but um, that's just the name of the game here. Um, recruiting, developing, moving up in the coaching ladder. So – um, final one in the assistant coaches, um, AJ Milwee. Uh, I didn't know this when they first brought him on. I really didn't know much about him. He's another guy who's, um, from Alabama, uh, was a consultant there. Steve Sarkeesian brought him with to be his quarterback's coach. And, uh, he is an absolute elite recruiter because he, um, along with Terry Joseph's help, but brought in and clearly Steve Sarkeesian's brought in Arch Manning. So um, mm -hmm. having a whale like that on your resume um, turns a lot of heads. Um, now we don't know much about AJ Milwee as a play caller, 
or um, even as a developer at this point, because it's so early. Um, and that's kind of the case for Brennan Marion and Tashar Choice as well. Um, they've done good at their last stops, but um, at the University of Texas, it's all amplified by at least 10, you know? So yep. Uh, yep. we'll still see how these guys do as developers, but um, what we've seen so far is Steve Sarkeesian has brought together an elite recruiting class or recruiting coaching staff um, with all of these guys um, with Steve Sarkeesian kind of being the face of it as an elite recruiter himself. So um, I think Steve Sarkeesian's biggest problem last year was his mid game adjustments. Um, whereas I feel like he made too many. Um, he, yeah. he started kind of changing how Texas played. And ironically, we, I feel like, Texas Twitter talks about this every week, but um, Steve Sarkeesian preaches all gas, no breaks, but he did not follow through with that in game. Yeah. Um, Texas lost a ton of games just from uh, being more conservative, running the ball too much, uh, being predictable, not pushing the ball downfield, um, even when they were throwing the ball. So, and that has to do with, um, you mentioned earlier, but Casey Thompson's hand, um, Hudson Card struggling and uh, Steve Sarkeesian trying to protect him by getting the ball out quickly because Hudson Card um, did really terrible under pressure. Yeah. So, um, so in the offensive line was terrible at pass blocking, which I brought up earlier as well. So um, it was kind of, um, you know, a, uh, I, I don't know if we can swear, a, a crap storm on the offensive <laughs> side of the ball at times because everything was working against each other. Uh, Casey Thompson couldn't throw deep because he had a hurt hand. And then if you brought in Hudson Card, he didn't do well because the offensive line couldn't uh, pass block for him long enough to run to throw the ball deep. So um, Steve Sarkeesian was forced to run the ball, which made it predictable because Texas had a lead and um, therefore a lot of three and outs uh, putting the defense in bad in a bad position where the defense wasn't talented enough to overcome that, um, mm -hmm. you know, it was it was just a, a cascading effect that uh, looking back is absolutely mind blowing how it all just worked uh, terribly for Texas. So, and you know, that's how you uh, get to a five and seven season and lose to Kansas apparently when you're <laughs> uh, one of the blue blood programs in college football. So. Um, yeah, I don't, if, uh, I rambled on a little bit there, if there's anything you kind of want to unpack, um, that I said, um, I'll give you the floor here. No, I, I honestly, I think you, you said everything very well. Um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, um, I, I don't know if it was him or him not trusting the quarterbacks, but yeah, the, the all gas, no breaks mantra that he runs his runs Texas by, um, you know, we didn't see that a lot in the second halves. Uh, we didn't see that a lot in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and again, that's not me saying we're up, you know, 40 to nothing on Rice. We need to throw the ball every down. That's right. me saying when we're up two possessions against a team, um, run the ball uh, right. on second and 10. Maybe, you know, open it up, throw the ball a little bit. Especially um, a team that's coached by Lincoln Riley. It's Oklahoma. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. where you know they can score points. So. Yes. Um, 
But, you know, I, I think he's going to learn from that, and I think he's going to trust his quarterback this year a lot more. Again, um, if you want to know who I think is going to be the starting quarterback, go ahead and check out that article at texas-talk.com. Mm-hmm. There's a plug, too. Right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Keep it coming. <laughs> we'll um, get one more in before the end of this. Oh, fight. yeah. Don't worry. A- absolutely. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think he's going to trust his quarterback a lot more, um, even if it is hard, um, just because having a whole year under your belt in a system, um, gives you a lot more confidence running those plays than having, you know, six months in that same system. Absolutely. Um, And on top of that, hopefully the offensive line got better as well. So, um, all those things are working positively for Sarkeesian. Prob it almost definitely can't be worse on offense than it was last year, and it was still a decent offense. Yeah, it, I'm, I, th- I would say we were what probably top twenty five offense in the country, and you know sometimes it didn't seem like that just because um, our scoring came in spurts. You know, it we didn't yeah. we didn't score consistently throughout a game. We would score all our points in the first half, or in a quarter, or something like that. Or against and then, Texas Tech. Yeah, yeah, Texas Tech rise. Um, But, but yeah, I think this year is going to be a lot better, and I think Steve Sarkeesian is going to actually hold true to his mantra of all grass, no breaks. And um, we we may run up the score a little bit on teams just so we know uh, that they can't come back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian might be just scarred from um, (laughs) the 2021 season. But um, one thing that I actually forgot to bring up, and I just noticed in my notes – so Steve Sarkeesian is, is the play caller. We mentioned it when we started talking, but I'm under the opinion that I think he might want to, or he might have to give up play calling duties at some point because guys like AJ Milwee and Brennan Marion are going to want to climb up the ladder. And this is a way for them to do it while staying at Texas. Um, Kyle Flood as well, but I think that's kind of an odd fit for Kyle Flood to be a play caller. Um, I'm not sure if he even did it when he was a head coach himself. I'm, I'm almost positive he didn't. So um, guys like AJ Milley and Brennan Marion, though, specifically Brennan Marion, who has been a play caller in the past, um, even if it was for a, a Division Two team and William and Mary, um, giving him those duties is going to take a ton off of Steve Sarkeesian's plate um, as the head coach you can't just be wrapped up on one side of the ball. Um, Steve Sarkeesian has to do a better job next year of keeping Pete Kwiatkowski in check. Um, is is just, um, you know, making sure that Pete Kwiatkowski is maybe diverting from his game plan a little bit because Pete Kwiatkowski um, really doesn't blitz a lot. And this is just an example. This isn't really something, um, but – Pete Kwiatkowski doesn't usually blitz a lot, but maybe if Steve Sarkeesian is paying more attention to the defense, um, he'll say, he'll be like, hey, PK, we need to bring the heat a little bit more here. Um, the the four they got rushing are just not getting to the quarterback, and we kind of want to keep this guy going. And, you know, it'll kind of give PK a little bit of a check in his own game, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's that's just an abstract example um, and not saying that Steve Sarkeesian doesn't already do that either, but um, I, I feel like it's hard when you're being the play caller while also trying to coach the entire roster there. Um, yeah, so. I, I would say, um, you know, 
he, he's mentioned this before when, when he first got to um, USC, um, he hired an offensive coordinator and let them call the plays and he didn't like it. He, he took it back from him just because, you know, he That's didn't right. think they were playing at the level he wanted them to. Right. Um, so the only per the only person I could see him giving that away to would be AJ Milby. Yeah, and that's, that's just guy. because he trusts him and he knows you know they're they're one and the same person basically. Right. Um. So that's the only one I could see him giving away to. Brendan Marion. Brendan Marion would have to be here for probably three or four years before I could say Steve Sarkeesian would trust him with the playbook and play calling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see that happening. Um, if he is here for that long. And if he is here for that long, right. like you said, either he falls in love with the University of Texas or, you know, maybe he didn't pan out the way that we all thought he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, to me, it's it's only going to be A.J. Milley just because that is Sark's right-hand man and that's the guy he trusts with probably every part of the organization, honestly. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't see him doing that in – you know, it may be something that he has to reevaluate later on if, if Texas has another bad season. Um, but mm-hmm. as as of right now, yeah, I, I don't see him even thinking about that um, moving forward. Yeah, and you you bring up a great point is the person actually calling the plays is going to have to be of the same mindset as Steve Sarkeesian. And like you said, A.J. Milwee is most likely that guy on this coaching staff. Brendan yeah. Marion um, – I talked about his offense. It is not like Steve Sarkeesian's offense at all. Um, they both have some parallels where Brendan Marion likes um, running the ball, obviously, and using the RPO game. But Brendan Marion's go-go offense, and it doesn't have to, but it usually featured like a uh, an athletic quarterback who is making it more of a triple option um, yeah. than just a read option uh, or than just a uh, – uh, RPO uh, run pass option. So, um, yeah, I, 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 now that you make that point, I feel like it would, uh, it would be really surprising if Sarkeesian gave up play calling duties to Marion. And if he did that, he wouldn't take it right back um, after a half a season or, or after the full season, because um, I just don't think that they, they kind of would call the same kind of games. Um, but um, guys like Lane Kiffin were kind of on the same boat as Steve Sarkeesian, and Lane Kiffin didn't call his own plays at Ole Miss. Um, he gave the he gave up those duties because he mentioned that it was too hard to coach the entire team while you're trying to call plays. He said he was kind of neglecting um, special teams specifically, but also um, defensive side of the ball. So, um, but I mean, to that point, when you got great coaches like uh, Jeff Banks taking care of the special teams. Texas special teams was um, phenomenal last year. So um, maybe Steve Sarkeesian can afford (laughs) to uh, neglect that while calling plays. And maybe that'll be, uh, be why he keeps play calling duties. Um, You know, Pete Kwiatkowski's defense was obviously not great last year, but um, there's, absolutely room for optimism because um, Texas' defense was a mess before Pete Krakowski got here as well. So um, it's hard to believe that one full schematic change is going to fix this defense. And honestly, it's more than likely 
that big of a schematic change is probably going to hurt the defense in its first year. Um, so I'm pretty optimistic on Pete Kwiatkowski coming back. So um, with that, let's kind of transition to the defensive side here. Um, we'll start with Pete Kwiatkowski. He is the defensive coordinator. He calls the plays for the defense. Um, Jeff Choate is the co-defensive coordinator and the inside linebackers coach. Um, I didn't mention Pete Kwiatkowski also coaches the outside linebacker slash edges. Um, Bo Davis coaches the defensive line. Terry Joseph um, coaches the defensive backs and um, passing game coordinator on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and Blake Gideon uh, coaches the safeties. So um, I'll kind of do the same thing. I'll kind of throw the ball on your court here. Um, you can take it wherever you want. Uh, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to make a statement here that some people may not like, but I'm full into every, just about everybody on this defensive uh, staff is on the hot seat this year. Um, outside of probably Terry Joseph and Bo Davis. Um, yeah. PK, um, his defense was god awful last year. Um, uh, but Choate was, his linebackers were bad last year and he can't recruit. <laughs> We've yeah. been over that. Um, Blake Gideon, um, you know, we, we really didn't hear anything from him and the defensive backfield wasn't that good either. Um, I, I don't know about much about recruiting with Blake Gideon, but, um, it seems like Terry Joseph is kind of that main recruiter in the defensive backfield and he's kind of the, the secondary guy. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I would not be surprised at all that if this defense struggles as bad as it did last year, um, that Sarkeesian may be making some changes on the, on the defense side of the ball. Um, we saw it last year with Andre Coleman. Um, he didn't produce, uh, or he, he wasn't recruiting at a high level and, you know, he wasn't really developing at a high level either. And, and, uh, Sarkeesian gave him the boot and brought in a, a great coach from Brendan Marion. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did that on the defense side of the ball either. Um, Pete Kukowski, you know, he, he was a very, very good coach at Washington and Boise State. Um, so, you know, I, I know he knows how to coach. Um, he just needs to get it together rather quickly or, or he may be without a job after the end of the season. <clears throat> um, and, and everybody points to, you know, his first year at Washington was really bad, too. And then his second year was really good. You know, I, I hope that is the case here at Texas as well, um, because a great defense at Texas, you know, with the offensive firepower we have, um, I, I think we win the Big 12 easily if, if we have a if we have a good defense um, and, and not only win the Big 12, but also probably make it to the college football playoff just because our offense is so powerful. If our defense is good, then, you know, I, I think we we can get that far. Um. Let's go to let's go to Jeff Choate. Um, Ryan knows I'm not the biggest uh, fan of Jeff Choate, and you know I I haven't been for quite a while. Um, he was one that I was excited about, you know, getting a head coach. Um, it was from Montana, or I think it was Montana. Is he was the head coach at um, come be your inside linebackers coach? Um, but man, he he hasn't recruited well. Um, he hasn't developed well, especially last year. Um, so this is kind of his year to, to prove it. Um, again, I, he coached well with Pete Kukowski at, at uh, Washington and I believe Boise State. So I know he's a good coach. It's just putting that into motion and proving it. Um, 
with the players he had he has right now. Um, you know, if if our linebackers come out this year and play really well, especially uh, Jalen Ford and um, Overshone, then you know I'll, I'll kind of give him a leeway with with not recruiting the best. Um, but you know, if the linebackers look like they did last year, where it's like they can't tackle and and they're they're uh, covering the wrong gaps and and we're getting gashed up the middle for runs, um, then yeah, Jeff Choate's probably going to be out on the curb with all his luggage because because he got let go as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Bo Davis. You know, he's one that development wasn't there last year. I again, I hope it is this year. Um, but recruiting was definitely there. Uh, we we had a fantastic defensive line and edge class last year, and Bo Davis had a big hand in that, as well as Jeff Banks. Um, but but phenomenal recruiting. If he keeps that up and 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 can start developing players as well, um, you know, our defensive line is going to be very very good over the next you know few years. Um, and he's also one that I don't see him leaving to take a defensive coordinator job. You know, I, I think he's kind of happy um, coaching the defensive line, and that's that's where he enjoys to coach. Um, so he's one that I think will will stick around no matter the success he sees as a coach. Um, then let's go to let's go to Blake Gideon. Blake Gideon, um, the safeties didn't look good, very good last year. Um, you know, against OU, do you remember? Caleb Williams could basically just toss the ball up and, and his wide receivers would come down with the ball um, just because our safeties and our defensive backs couldn't get their head around. They were lost lost back there in single coverage. Um, so being able to teach uh, defensive backs to get their head around and knock the ball down is something that seems pretty simple, um, but it, our our defensive backs coach, coaches over the past you know three, four years haven't been able to instill into, to, into the secondary that they coach. Um, so Blake Gideon being able to do that, develop players, is going to be his, um, what keeps him in, in Austin. But, you know, like I said, I, I haven't checked much on him recruiting wise. Um, I think he kind of plays second fiddle to Terry Joseph, um, who is a fantastic recruiter and, and, uh, has proven that last year and already this year with, um, Derek Williams and potentially Jordan Matthews out of Louisiana, who are two, uh, who are two phenomenal um, defensive backs out of the state of Louisiana. Um, so Terry Joseph is one that I'm super excited about. You know, obviously we need to see the development, which I feel like I've said with each one of these defensive coaches, we need to see the development, but, but I trust he can get there because, um, you know, he had really good defensive backfields at Notre Dame. Uh, it just needs to translate over to Texas and we need to see it on the field on Saturdays when we're, when we're um, playing DKR, DKR or, or other stadiums across the country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we talked about it. Um, you hit everybody, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So I'll just start with Terry Joseph. Um, just so you're in my mind here, I got a pros list, a cons list, and then a unknown list. And basically in all the coaches unknown, I have development at Texas. Because, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Like we said, we just don't know yet. And it's it was way too early mid season to tell or by the end of the season to tell how good they are. But um, yeah, let's start with Terry Joseph. Obviously he's an elite recruiter. Um, I mentioned it earlier in the pod and I mentioned it in a couple other pods, but he was a huge reason why Arch Manning um, was in play for Texas. He was Arch Manning's secondary recruiter, obviously AJ Milwee 
kind of took the reins from him and, um, you know, obviously took it all the way home because Arch Manning is now committed. Um, he also secured Derek Williams and, um, you know, five-star safety. Um, we also talked about Terrence Brooks earlier. Um, he ended up being able to flip him. So Terry Joseph as a recruiter is um, no doubt great. Um, but I, I feel like um, Blake Gideon has done a, a pretty good job himself. Um, he was the primary recruiter for Aaron Hampton, uh, 2024, currently a four-star commit, um, but we could easily see him get to a five-star. Um, he was a secondary recruiter for Justice Finkley. Um, Brian Allen, he was his primary recruiter. And Jaden Allen, Brian Allen's uh, brother, who is a 2024 uh, commit as of right now, he was his secondary uh, recruiter. So there's there's some good names there. Um, I feel like it keeps coming back to uh, – he was also Larry Turner Gooden's primary uh, recruiter and um, Aaron Bryant's primary recruiter, defensive lineman. So I feel like Blake Gideon – has kind of held his own as a recruiter. Obviously he's being overshadowed by Terry Joseph because Terry Joseph has done such a good job, but um, both of them are going to have to show improvement in the secondary uh, development wise, because if they don't, it really doesn't matter how good you recruit. It's going to be the same old Texas of the past decade of um, ultra talented five-star players that, don't pan out because nobody recruited them. Um, a la Caden Stearns, um, Brandon Jones, who made it to the NFL, sure, but um, to know it, it, Texas didn't do them any favors. Um, yep. You know, um, obviously they'd find Texas careers, but they didn't. Uh, they didn't do all they should have done at Texas. They they didn't win a Thorpe Award or even come close. So. I, I, I feel like that's kind of where it starts and ends with basically most of this defensive uh, coaching staff, to be honest, is they've kind of shown to be good recruiters, but they need to develop this talent. And we'll kind of slide down now to Jeff Cho at the inside linebackers. Um, he had an absolute terrible recruiting class last year and, um, you talked about it, but you hold it against him a lot, which you should. <laughs> yeah. You absolutely should. Um, it was it was a terrible class. Um, I don't even think he was or he was he was Travell Johnson's secondary according to twenty four seven sports. So he didn't even land Travell Johnson by himself. Um, he was a three star linebacker, but um, this cycle he's kind of turned it up a notch here. Um, he was the primary for Liana Lafoe, um, four-star linebacker, top 30 at his position. He was the primary for Samaje Burrell, um, four-star linebacker, top 20 in his position, and uh, top 300 player nationally. And he was the primary for um, new edge rusher commit Darian Gillette. So, so far, he has three blue-chip players on his belt um, for the 20. 23 cycle. Um, so I feel like he's kind of 
not made up for how bad his um his twenty twenty one class was, but that um we kind of talked about this in the group chat, but that could have also been by design by Steve Sarkeesian. Um, like I said, and even you kind of admitted to it, is the linebacking position is is uh, it's not the most important position on the field, and definitely not in the front seven. And um, Steve Sarkeesian put an emphasis on the defensive line and the edge rushers in the last class. So um, there's only so many scholarships to go around. And I think Steve Sarkeesian kind of uh, um, didn't do Jeff Choate any favors and, and kind of used his resources in other ways um, the last cycle. So now that Texas's staff can be a little bit more, um, you know, open and, and they can kind of take best player available at this point because the roster is in a little bit better shape after 35 new players. Um, but I, I feel like Jeff Cho deserves a, a second chance after this cycle. Um, but like you said, and like I said with the DBs, it, it kind of comes down to how Jalen Ford and specifically DeMarvin Overshone perform this year because they have to get better. Um, Overshone specifically is ultra talented. He, um, he should be a day one or day two pick in the NFL next year. He's that talented. He just needs to um, get coached up at the linebacker position because um, he started off as a safety and he's behind the eight ball here now. Um, so Jeff Choate has to do a good job developing him, teaching him and getting him ready for, uh, you know, Saturdays because a lot of times overshone was late on runs, uh, diagnosing run plays or he was getting fooled on play action and um you know going the wrong way on misdirections so jeff choate's got to coach that out of him and he and he's got to show that he can do that with ultra talented player like demarvin overshone is so um i'm with you i i feel like a guy like jeff choate blake gideon are kind of on the hot seat because they've developed well or i'm sorry they've recruited well um but everybody recruits well at Texas. They have to develop <laughs> yeah. these guys. So um, I feel like they don't have a lot of leniency. I feel like Terry Joseph has more because um, he's a much better recruiter than uh, Gideon and Choate. And mm -hmm. Pete Kwiatkowski has a little bit more as well because um, I mentioned it when talking about the offense and Steve Sarkeesian is a head coach, but um, Kwiatkowski's defense is, is going to take more than one not even a few months to uh, to lock down for for this uh, for, for this roster and these and these uh, players, you know. Yeah. Um, installing this defense doesn't happen overnight in a few months, is what I was trying to say. So now that Pete Kwiatkowski has a full season, he has a way better understanding of his roster because he's seen them in action, doing what he's asked them to do. Um, you know, I, I feel like Pete Kwiatkowski needs at least another year. Um, and they have to improve, but I would be, I would be kind of annoyed if, if they let go of Pete Kwiatkowski after 2022, just because we've seen rotating door defensive uh, coordinator for far too long. And I feel like 
um, you know, it's not always the coach's fault here. And sometimes you just got to give them a longer leash. So, um, but yeah, uh, I think that's kind of everybody. Oh, uh, another thing that I want to add, and this kind of goes for, I didn't hit Bo Davis yet. Um, Bo Davis, great recruiter as well. Um, the only thing is he's been at Texas a little bit longer and Alfred Collins is an incredibly talented player. And we just have not seen that on Saturdays. So, um, that's been super disappointing, but, um, maybe that's more of an Alfred Collins problem than a Bo Davis problem because, uh, Bo Davis found and is by all accounts developing really well, Byron Murphy, um, kind of sounds like Byron Murphy is going to be, uh, one of our biggest, uh, pass rushing, uh, threats this season. So if, uh, if that holds true and, and that comes to fruition, then, Bo Davis um, kind of extended his leash as well um, because he's had a, a couple of good recruiting classes these past two years. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, Jeff Chope, Bo Davis, both in the same vein, they're more of the, uh, the vocal guys on the sidelines on game day. Whereas I, I'm uh, Pete Krakowski was up in the, uh, up in the booth last year. So, and I assume he's going to do that next year as well. So um, you kind of need guys like that for the defense just to be on the field vocal leader. And that's kind of why Jeff Choate is the, uh, is the co-defensive coordinator. Now in the future, if Terry Joseph keeps doing what he's doing and he keeps developing, I can kind of see Terry Joseph uh, usurping uh, Jeff Choate and taking that co-defensive coordinator job. And um, kind of being Pete Krakowski's Jimmy Lake at Texas, um, because Terry Joseph so far has done a great job. So, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, again, kind of a lot to unpack there. Um, it's incredibly, incredibly hot where I'm recording. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing my train of thought a little bit more, but um, yeah, I'll throw the ball in your court now, uh, whatever you want to unpack. Um, yeah, you know, I, I am hard on show and, you know, it's, it's going to take a lot for him to, you know, regain my trust, so to speak. Um, you know, if, if he does have a great recruiting class this year, which he, he's working on it. Um, I, I would say he has a very good recruiting class this year. Um, Mm -hmm. if, if he holds that through signing day and if we see development from the inside linebacker position, um, you know, I, I'd be happy with Choate, but that's a big if. You know, last last year was really, really bad, and he came in as a high, you know, he that's what he did was develop linebackers, um, and right. we didn't see that at all last year. Um, so it, it's going to be on him, you know, to, to clean that up and make sure we look good at, on the inside and then, you know, recruit that position at a high level as well, which, which he's doing fairly well this year. Um, but yeah, I, I would say he's probably number one on the hot seat and then Blake Gideon right behind. Um, but yeah. you know, Blake Gideon has, it's probably a bigger gap. It's probably Jeff Cho, a decent size gap than Blake Gideon. Um, but, uh, Choate's definitely number one on my list to let go if, if, uh, linebackers aren't looking good this year. Yeah. And, um, I mentioned it too, that he's co-defensive coordinator. So you do expect more from him than. Blake Gideon, yeah. safeties coach. So, yeah. um, 
Yeah, I do agree with you there as well that, um, you know, Choate has to show development and he has to have a good recruiting class because he's getting paid um, a lot of money to do that. And there's guys, like I also mentioned, like Terry Joseph, who are going to very um, quickly demand a job similar to that, if not a full-on defensive coordinator job at a Power 5 school. Yeah, absolutely. So. So, yeah, I, I do agree with you. Um, I think on the meter, everybody on the defense for you is higher than everybody on the defense for me. But if we're ranking who's on the hot seat and who's not, I feel like me and you are pretty in line on that. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, is there anything else we wanted to go through? Do we – I know I mentioned it. Do we want to – name our top 10 college football coaches, or is that going to kind of pull us into uh, too long territory and maybe we'll just save it for next week? Save it for next week and we can make that kind of our whole episode. Maybe have a little bit shorter of an episode before, you know, we get into the uh, couple weeks away from the season. So I, I say, we'll we should leave them on a cliffhanger there and, and uh, we'll, we'll go over that next week. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, you could tell I was excited to be back because we did, we're approaching two hours long now, right? Uh, we're at <laughs> yeah. like a, over an hour and a half at least. So yeah. Um, yeah, you could tell I was excited to be back and get to talking with you again and kind of hearing what uh, our listeners have to say as well, because um, you know, Texas football is uh, it's almost back where um, we are well, less than 20, less than 30 days. Um, I'm checking right now at the texas-talk.com football schedule because we do have a countdown going, and we're at 24 days. Nice. uh, Well, 24 days, 23 hours, and 10 seconds. So Uh. 25 days. um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, So if you're ever wondering what the countdown is, visit texas-talk.com, click on our 2022 football schedule, and we have a nice countdown clock, uh, you know, running. So uh, I think that's it. I can't think of anything else to plug here unless you got something. No, um, but like, like Ryan said, check out the website, texas-talk.com. Um, you know, we have plenty of articles up and we're going to be hitting them hard um, over these next few weeks as we lead up to the season. Um, you'll be able to see our win totals, um, that our predictions for the season kind of win-loss thing. Um, I think those are going to be fun and we'll probably do a pod episode um, maybe like a couple days after we release both of our articles um, just so you guys can hear us kind of explain uh, what our picks are and uh, why, you know, the record that we gave Texas, you know, why why we haven't losing a couple games or why we haven't going twelve and zero. Um, I think Ryan's going to have him going twelve and zero. So, so <laughs> I'll have him explain that after. I don't drink that much Kool Aid. <laughs> I don't drink it. <laughs> Try not to. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Like Michael said, um, we're kind of gonna uh, put the, you know, put ourselves in high gear here and. Um, get ready for the season. Um, I just updated to fully the Texas Longhorns roster and depth chart on the website. So, um, and after basically every game, I'm going to be updating this depth chart. Um, 
you know, just kind of tracking snap counts, um, where guys are playing. But right now this is kind of just a look ahead of uh, what we assume it's going to look like um, the starting roster and the, and the backups, but um, yeah, check it out and let us know what you agree with, what you don't agree with. Um, so uh, anything else, Michael? No, no, I think that's it. Um, well, we'll see you next week. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you guys so much again for listening and, you know, sticking with us for this extra long episode. Um, we will be back next week. Um, and until then, as always, hook em. Hook em. <laughs>